The following message is by Pastor Eugene Ahn of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Um, today, I'm going to be talking about the parable of the the parable of the talents, but instead of reading it, I will be retelling the story. So uh, we're not going to be reading the scripture this morning just to give you a heads up, but I'll be retelling it in a bit. But before I continue on, let's open in a word of prayer. Jesus, thank you so much for your goodness, your love, your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you sought us out, that we weren't looking for you, that we, you didn't, we didn't just discover you, but Jesus, you came running after us, and we're so grateful for that. And Lord, we do pray for your Holy Spirit to really open up our hearts and help us to look at ourselves. And Lord, what is the message that you have for us today? So God, we entrust this time to you, and we want to hear your voice. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, the next slide here, back in May, I attended a conference out in Atlanta, and I know you're probably looking at this wondering, well, what in the world is that? Well, it's, it's at my hotel, and when I first walked into it, you know, if you've stayed at a hotel, it's sort of like a dime a dozen, but when I walked into this place, it was gorgeous. Like, I walked in, and you look straight up, and you can see all of the floors, and it sort of took me aback, and, and, and I was just my breath was taken, and at this conference, um, it was my time to get away from my life. I, I was busy with work, with ministry, uh, with school, but also having a family and being a husband. And so this was sort of my getaway from everything. And I treated it as a sort of a, a, a personal retreat to hear from God, f- to recalibrate, and just to get focused. And so as I go out onto this business trip, uh, if you've ever been on a business trip, typically what happens is you go to work, you go back to your hotel, all you do is watch TV and movies. So I did my best to minimize all of that and really to just focus on God. So I brought some books and, and was reading a bit, but one thing I did try to do is listen to sermons. Um, it wasn't Pastor Steve's, that's okay, it was some other pastors, but I was listening to it. And have you ever had that moment where you're listening to a sermon And God just hits you. And when I was in my hotel room, just sort of minding my own business, listening to this sermon, God God really spoke to me and made me be very dead honest with myself. And this morning when you come into this place, I want to even before we get into the message, invite you to be very honest with yourself. It's easy to go and sit in this place and walk through the motions, but can we just ask ourselves some honest questions? And so when I was in the hotel room, this was the question God was asking me. What in the world are you pursuing right now? What are you going after? What is your pursuit? What are you chasing after? And in my heart of hearts, I had to be very honest. I was pursuing what I wanted to do. I was not pursuing what God wanted me to do, but I was trying to pursue after career success, moving up the ladder, make more money. I want that dream house. I want the dream car. And that was genuinely my pursuit. I had never said those things. 
and now saying it into a recording and on a pulpit. I never articulated those things to my wife or to anybody else, but if I was really honest, that's where my heart was at. And I really just wanted to do what I wanted to do. God wasn't even in the equation. Even though I had a ministry title, a position serving as a youth pastor of Catalyst, that wasn't my genuine pursuit after God. And this morning, I want us to begin by asking ourselves some deeply honest questions. What are you pursuing this morning? What is it that you're chasing after? Who is it or what is it? Is it your career? Is it trying to move up that ladder? Is it money? And saying, if I earn more, I can get more and do whatever I want with it. Or is it parenting? Saying, my child must be X, Y, and Z. They have to be successful. They don't have to be a doctor or lawyer, but they should be. Or even for high schoolers, as you're here, is God something where you want my life to submit to Him or you're just saying, God, I'm, I want to do my thing now, and maybe later on I'll, I'll get along with you. And so this morning, these are the questions that are going to begin into our story as we talk about the parable of the talents. And so the things that happen before we even get to the parable of the talents, Jesus has entered into the city of Jerusalem, and if you know the story, he's preparing for his death, his brutal crucifixion. And so as he enters into the city, he turn, uh, goes into the temple, he starts turning up tables, and he starts messing everything up and saying, my house is a house of prayer. And he goes and he begins to rebuke the Pharisees and tell them in front of everybody how wrong they are and how they are not pursuing after God, but they're actually pursuing after what they want. And so Jesus rebukes the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and he's doing all of these things. And as he leaves the temple... He walks out into the city and he begins to look at these buildings. And his disciples are with him. And he says, you see these buildings in three days? Rubble. And let's be honest. If you're hanging with Jesus and he's saying some of these things, you're probably like, what are you talking about? That's like me going with Pastor Steve and he's downtown Chicago. In three days, these all gone. Okay, um, sure, whatever you say. And so Jesus has stirred the hearts of the disciples. And what they do is instead of asking him in front of everybody, they pull him aside as he's on the Mount of Olives, and that's what this picture is about. They ask him, Jesus, what is going to happen when you return and when? Can you give us a heads up? Like, it will be really helpful to know when this is going to happen so we can prepare and, and get ready for it. And so Jesus, in chapter 24 of Matthew, he begins to unpack what is going to happen. And then he gets to that critical question of when. When is this going to happen? And I know sometimes that's a question that we wonder. When is this, his return going to be? And he says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And in verse 44, he says, Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming, at an hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. 
And so his return, we believe, is imminent. At any time, it can happen. But what Jesus tells explicitly, nobody knows. Not even the angels that hang out. Not the Son, but the Father only knows when. And so as he tells this, he then goes into the parable of the ten virgins, saying there are ten, five virgins, virgins that were ready for my return, for the bridegroom's return, and five that were not. And then we get into the parable of the talents, which is where we are this morning. And I'm going to unpack this story and just sort of flesh out what is Jesus telling us today? What do we have to learn from this story? So as it begins... He's on a long journey. The master is about to go on a long journey. And back then, when you went on vacation or you had some business to tend to, what do you do with the business? You have to leave it to your servants. Now, just to bring some context to this, my parents are sitting in the back. They own a personal business, and when they want to go on vacation, guess who's in charge? Talk about being scared. I don't even speak Korean. I, I would just say the Korean, Annyeonghaseyo, and then they would speak Korean. Like, I have no idea what to say after this. So the master's about to go on a very long journey, has no idea when he's coming back. And so in order for the business to continue, what he does is he delegates and distributes his wealth. Now, if you have money, you're not just giving any sums of money to anybody, Right? You give it to people that you know this is what they can handle. This, I know they can do this and this. And so the master is assessing each servant. Okay. All right. This person can do this. This person can do that. This person can do another. And so he calls them up. And I've given them names. And they're not Jewish names, okay? Just so that I don't have to say servant one, two, and three. It's not fun. So we're going to say servant number one. His name is Jack. Jack comes up. And Jack, I am going to give you $5 million. Now, in the Bible, it doesn't say million dollars. It says talents. Now, when you, if you're like me and when you hear five talents, you think of that guy on the stage with the unicycle juggling. and like, Oh, he's got five different talents he can do. But back then, talents were a sum of money. One talent was equal to 6,000 denarii, which was 20 years wages. And that equaled 75 pounds. I know, you don't know what a denarii is. I don't either. And so, but you know $5 million, right? That, that talks to you, it talks to me. And so, Jack gets $5 million. And he entrusts this to his servant. Now he gets number two. His name's Jimmy. Jimmy, come on up. Jimmy, I'm going to give you $2 million. Now, this is something that doesn't say in the prayer. Jimmy doesn't side-eye Jack, like, how come he gets more? Like, my children, just this morning, so how come Josiah gets more waffle than me? Right? And so, but Jack, do, Jimmy doesn't do that. Jimmy's saying, okay, I've got two million. It's been entrusted to me. And then we've got Jerry. Jerry gets how much? One million. And so after the master distributes the money to each servant, he goes away. He leaves, and there's no time frame of when he's going to come back. No one has any idea when he's going to return. And so what does Jack do as the master leaves? He thinks about these two questions. Number one, how would the master continue his affairs? And number two, 
what would make the master really, really happy when he returns? And so starting on that premise, what he does is he goes to the city and begins to trade the five million. And the Bible tells us he makes five million more. Now imagine your financial advisor, you've given him five million dollars and he calls you back and says, I've got five million more for you, ten million dollars. Are you excited? Oh, nobody. Nobody in this room is excited. What's going on? Oh, okay, maybe it's just my values. Okay, forgive me. So, five mil- he makes $10 million, and he knows that the master will be happy because I've doubled his money. And so Jimmy gets the $2 million, and Jimmy's like, well, well how am I going to continue his affairs? What am I going to do to make this happen? Well, he goes down, and he begins to do what the master would do. He goes to double his money as well. My master would be so happy if I doubled the money. And that's exactly what Jimmy does. And at the heart of this, they are surrendered to the master's purpose. Even though the master is totally gone out of sight, out of mind, to them, I still want to do what the master has me to do. These millions of dollars were not theirs. If I got five million, I know I'm just going to be honest. I'd be like, he's not going to miss the hundred thousand. Like, if I buy a couple things here and there. But no, Jack and Jimmy are focused. I want to continue the master's plan. I want to continue his affairs, and I'm going to make him happy when he returns. I'm going to double it. And then we get to Jerry. My guy, Jerry. And I love the photo of Jerry in this. He's just chilling. Jerry gets $1 million. And you know what Jerry does? Under his breath, I'm sure he's like, what am I supposed to do with this? It's not even my money. So Jerry gets a plan together. I know what to do. I'm going to get a shovel. And after I get the shovel, I'm going to find a spot to put it in. And after I find the spot to put it in, I am going to bury it. I'm going to bury a million dollars because it's not my money and I don't really care if the master's gone. All he wants is his money. And so Jerry does it. And as he buries the money, I'm not sure if he lays down like this guy in the picture, but basically he moves on with his life. I've buried it. Now I'm going to just do what I want to do. Now, if you've ever done something where you you put something away it's out of sight, out of mind. I purchased this foam roller from Amazon thinking, I need this thing so bad because my backside hurt. And after I used it the first time, guess what I did? I put it in a closet. I said, oh, I'll, go, I'll get back to it. And to this day, out of sight, out of mind. I like never used that thing. And so the same thing with this million dollars, out of sight and out of mind. And have you ever heard of that phrase, when the cat's away? The mice will play. And the same thing, Jerry, master's not there. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to live my life. Jerry was all about Jerry. I'm going to do me. That's the master's stuff. That's not my problem. And so after a long, 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 long time, a really long time, guess what? The master has returned. And what does the master say when he returns? Show me the money. 
Show me the money. I want to know what's been going on. And so Jack is the first one up because you want to know where the most money went. He comes up, says, Master, you entrusted to me five million. I have made five million more. And just like you, if you heard those words out of your master, well done, good and faithful servant. And I'm not giving it, I would be shouting through the roof. Like I'm a very extroverted person. I would just start shouting. I just start yelling. And I'm sure the master was ecstatic. I can't believe this is what you've done. And in his joy, he says, I've placed you over a few things. Now I'm going to trust you much more. Enter into the joy of your master. And then it's Jimmy's turn, and Jimmy comes up. Master, you entrusted to me $2 million, and I have made $2 million more. And does the master say, well, did you hear about Jack? He made $5 million, man. What's up with you? No! He says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. Now I'm going to entrust to you much more. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever been recognized in front of a group of people by the CEO, your boss? And I know being Asian, and I'm just totally profiling in this room, most people are like, oh, I don't, I don't want any praise. And I, Let's just, come on, that's false, okay? There is a biochemical reaction when there is praise affirmation when there's someone that enjoys what you do we love it we absolutely love it and for the servants and getting endorsed in this kind of way hey i am pleasing the master and if he's pleased i'm through the roof i'm absolutely happy and then we get to jerry my guy jerry Master says, show me the money. And you know, Jerry starts off the conversation very abruptly. Well, I just want to let you know you are a hard person to please. Have you ever done that to somebody? Point the finger? I, being at my job, I've had the finger pointed at me many times, and it's never like an enjoyable feeling. And so the master is being told this by Jerry. Jer- master, I want you to know you're a very hard man to please. You're very difficult. And truthfully, you don't like working but you like the benefits of working. And in the Bible, it says this, you are a hard man and you reap where you don't sow and you gather where you scatter no seed. And what Jerry says is, I know what you're really about. You just want your money back. Here, I dug a hole, I buried it. Here's your million dollars. That's what you want, right? How do you think the, you know, how do you think the master feels this moment? That's when you're at that house party, the music going, and then the, the record scratch is like, oh, man, Jerry, Jerry, I'm scared for you. And the master is loading up, you wicked and lazy servant. Based on your assumption, if you think I'm a hard guy to please, and you think that I reap where I don't sow, and I gather where I haven't scattered seed, why didn't you put money in the bank? You don't have to work. At least I would get interest on it. And so the master says, take that million from Jerry, give it to Jack. Jerry, you're not one of my servants, man. You're out. 
And this is a story Jesus tells to the, to the disciples. What is he trying to tell the disciples through this parable? Why does Jesus share this story? And why does he even apply it to us today? Well, Jesus shares this parable because he's letting them know, I'm going away for a really long time. And I'm sure the disciples didn't understand at that time, but he's letting them know, I'm going away for a very long time, but I'm coming back. And when I come back, there is going to be an account. There is going to be an assessment, a review. And so this parable is to tell them, when I am gone, continue my affairs as if I'm, away, as if I'm here but also live in such a way that when I return, that I am pleased. Jack and Jimmy clearly knew this five million, two million, it's not theirs, but it's the master's. And the master has entrusted these resources to them to steward. You see in this next slide here, we see how the word is used entrusted. The, the master says, for it is like a man going on a journey who summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. And when it's time for the account, Jack and Jimmy use the exact same words. The one who had received the five talents came and brought five more saying, Sir, you entrusted to me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. And then Jimmy, the one with the two talents, also came and said, Sir, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I have gained two more. And there's a common understanding between the master and Jack and Jimmy. The master has purposely entrusted to these men large sums of money, and they understand that. They know it doesn't belong to them. It belongs to who? The master. And the next slide here, being entrusted by the master means that we are to be stewards of his resources. Being entrusted by the master means we are to be stewards of his resources. Believe it or not, everything that you have is from God. And that is a hard thing to understand, especially when you're working 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. And you the children, you, you've raised them and taken care of them. Or the studies that you put in at school, you think, I've earned this, it's mine. But as we learn through this parable that everything belongs to him, that he has entrusted to us everything to steward for him. Well, what is a steward? What is the definition? And Randy Alcorn, in his book, money, possessions, eternity. He defines steward like this. A steward is someone entrusted with another's wealth or property and charged with the responsibility of managing it in the owner's best interest. A steward is entrusted with sufficient resources and the authority to carry out his designated responsibility. See, it's, it doesn't belong to them. They are stewarding it for who it belongs to. And this is what I want to say as well. In the next slide here, he says this, A steward's primary goal is to be found faithful by his master as the steward uses the master's resources to accomplish the tasks delegated to him. 
you see the focus of the steward is I want to please the master. I want to be found faithful by the master. And I ask this question to you this morning, is that your pursuit? To please the master, to be found faithful by the master with your family, with your work, with your schooling? Is that your drive? Is that your desire? On the next slide here, it says, A steward lives for the day he will return the master's goods to him. An owner believes his possessions are his to spend in any way he sees fit. All we have, our material goods, our abilities, and even our very lives belong to someone else. We are merely holding them for the day of reckoning. And let's be honest, it is tough because we believe and our culture believes that what you earn belongs to you, that what you have belongs to you, that you have some entitlements. I have earned this much, I've made, made this much money, or I, I, I can do whatever I want. But this is a profound shift in believing this is not mine. It belongs to God. And there was a time when I had my pastor in the city, he owned a sailboat. And when he owned the sailboat, I thought it was sort of weird. Like, you're an urban pastor, and you've got a sailboat? Like, I only thought rich people have sailboats. And then I saw the sailboat. I'm like, oh, okay, it's not like this incredible yacht. It wasn't beautiful. But not, not to, hey, he still had a boat. Let's just, I, that's pretty cool. And so he asked me, like, hey, do you want to go out sometime? And I said, definitely. I would love to go. I've never been sailing and definitely never been sailing in Lake Michigan. So it was parked at Montrose Harbor, and we get in this boat, and we begin to get on Lake Michigan, and if you've ever been out in the middle of Lake Michigan, I mean, it was breathtaking. It was really, really neat, and as we're riding back, I'm like, you know, Pastor Jim, this is so cool. Like, I I love the sailboat. It's really neat, and you know what he said to me? Hey, anytime you want to borrow it, go ahead. I was like, what? I I don't want to borrow it. Like, what? This belongs to you. I don't want it, and he's like, no, no, no. It's not. It's God's, man. It's not mine. Don't worry about it. If you ever want to take it out, just let me know. And you can use it. And I still remember that. This is 15 years ago, and I still remember him saying that this is God's. It's not mine. And I just thought, that is so weird. That is so strange. No, it belongs to you. You have the title. You pay for it. You pay for the upkeep. You do everything with it. That's yours. But his mindset was, no, it belongs to God. Anyone can use it. I'm, I'm okay with that. And that was that fundamental shift in just saying this doesn't belong to me. And when you think about your work and think about your earnings and think about your home and your family, it's saying, Lord, this is yours. What, what do you want me to do with it? And so in this parable, we, find, we will find approval and joy from the Master by surrendering to his purpose. And this is the next slide here. We will find approval and joy from the master by surrendering to his purpose. And Jesus makes it explicitly clear to the disciples in this part of the parable that both Jack and Jimmy, they are on the right track. They receive endorsement. They receive celebration. And he says, enter into the joy of your master. And that's the reward for surrendering to the master's purpose. 
and hearing those words. Do you want to hear that from him this morning? I know sometimes when we talk about Jesus' return, we can sort of get on edge. And I want to say this, is that he can return at any moment. But also at the same time, we don't know when our life is over. We don't know when it is going to be our time. It could be a car accident. It could be a sickness. It could be anything. But how do we want, the ma- how do we want to meet the master face to face? And so in surrendering, it can feel jarring, like, I, I want to live my life. I want to own my life. But Jesus gives us the perfect example. What does this look like? In Luke chapter 22, verse 42, we see Jesus in one of the most painful moments of his life. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's in prayer And he tells the Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know, Jesus is the Son of God. He doesn't have to go through this. He doesn't have to subject himself to one of the most excruciating, painful deaths ever. But he says to God the Father, not my will, not what I want, Not what my flesh is desiring, but your will be done. And then we see as Jesus is crucified, died, resurrected, that God the Father endorses him and all of us have this opportunity to know Christ and be rescued by him. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, and this is the uh, result of what Jesus has done for us who, through, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Amen? And this is what has happened when Jesus surrendered his life. said, Lord, not my will but yours be done. That God the Father has exalted him. And that he has rescued us, every man, woman, and child, and gives us the opportunity of eternal life. Do you remember what it was like for you? Do you remember how desperately lost you were when Christ saved you? Because of what Jesus has done on the cross. Sometimes we forget that we were desperately lost. And that we needed him more than he needed us. And I love this psalm in Psalm 40. It perfectly describes our condition. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. He rescued us. He found us when we couldn't save ourselves. Our good works, our righteousness, nothing could rescue us. But he found us. He pulled us out of the pits of hell. 
placed our feet upon the rock, cleansed us, and he put a new song in our mouth that we no longer have to live the way we used to live. We no longer have to live according to the way the world tells us to live, but that he has made us new creations. In 2 Corinthians 5, 15 and 17, and he died for all that those who, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. That we are made new in Christ and that we no longer have to follow the things of the past, but that we would follow what he is calling us to do and that we can surrender to the master's purpose. And as he has entrusted you and me as stewards, that it's not my will, but Lord, your will be done. Some of you may be struggling at work and wonder, why in the world am I here? Some of us, we just go there and we just, you don't even care why we're there. We're just there to pay, earn a paycheck, go and leave. But saying, Lord, not my will, but your, why are, are you having me here? Do you have a purpose and a plan for me? Do you want me to be salt and light to my boss to my coworkers, what's your desire for me? When we talk about money, this is always a very tough issue. But really praying and saying, God, this is your money, not mine. And prayerfully considering, where does our money go? Where do we spend it? And I'm not asking for anyone's financials. I don't really care. But we will have to give an account because this is God's money, not our money. And family, how you raise your children. And are we surrendering to the master's purpose for our children, for our families? Are we just doing what everyone else seems to be doing? And in high school, in junior high, are we just doing our best to just fit in? I just, I don't want to stick out. And I know when I was in high school, I didn't want to stick out either. But the call to follow Jesus, we're not going to be like everybody else. And surrendering to the master's purpose and what he wants. And I'm just going to be totally honest. People are going to think you're nuts. People may, why would you do that? Why in the world would you spend your money? In the, why wouldn't you do this or that with your, your responsibility? Why would, it's yours. But it tells a world, a non-believing world, hey, it's not mine. It's not about me. But there's a Savior I'm living for. It belongs to Him, and I want to follow what He wants. I do want to say this, and this is the warning of the parable. This is the warning for anyone that's living as Jerry here. We will not find joy and approval from the Master by rejecting His purpose. Jerry's story is the warning to all of us that we could be so close. We could hear incredible teaching and preaching. We can be in the presence of God during worship. And yet we can leave and just say, I am going to live my own life. I am going to bury that million dollars and just do, frankly, what I want to do. I don't really care what God wants. And you may never say that with your lips. And you may never articulate that to anybody. 
But all of us in this room, we know actions speak louder than what? Words. And it's the truth. How are we living out our life? And this is the greatest battleground in surrendering to the Master. It's our heart. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And though we are saved, though we have been rescued, still our hearts are prone to wander. Amen? Is it just me? Amen? Our hearts are prone to wander. We want to naturally, instinctively do what we want. We are naturally rebellious and want to follow our own ways. And though we recognize Jesus as our Savior, we're spending a lifetime surrendering to Him to be our Lord and Master. It's not just this one-moment decision like, oh yeah, I've surrendered to Jesus. But if you're totally honest, it's a surrendering. It's a daily heart battle. It's waking up and saying, Lord, I'm yours. Some days are better than others, amen? I know for me, some days are better than others, but this is the battle of the heart and surrendering to the Master and His purpose. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. And Jerry's heart is just saying, I want nothing to do with you. And this morning, I started off with that question and asking, what are you pursuing? What is it that you're going after? Is it really what the Father wants, or is it what you want? And we see the Master's response to Jerry. And typically, when I read that parable, I'm like, oh, Jerry, you, oh, bad, you bad, Jerry. Look at that. Look at what you did. Uh-uh. And I don't know if you read the parables like that, but I typically do. Oh, I judge the Pharisees. You guys are bad. Oh, you don't know what you're doing. But if I'm totally honest, I've got Jerry moments my life I got Jerry moments where I don't want to do what God wants me to do Randy Alcorn says this far too many evangelical Christians have succumbed to the heresy that this present life may be lived disobediently without serious effects on their eternal state Never have so many Christians believed the lie that their money and possessions are theirs to do with as they please. Never have so many thought that as long as they affirm with their lips a certain doctrinal statement, that they may live their lives indifferent to human need and divine command, and all will turn out well in the end. And what Randy Alcorn is saying is that we have created this belief, this heresy, that we can say the sinner's prayer once in our lifetime and then live a life that is completely opposite of what God intends and His purpose for us. And this morning, our church, this is what God is speaking to us and evaluating our lives and our heart. Am I Jerry? Am I the one entrusted by the Master living my own life, rejecting the master's purpose. And James calls it out loud and clear. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 19. What good is it, my brothers, 
If someone says he has faith but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that Christ is, God, is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. And we are very familiar with this passage. But we need to honestly assess where are we at. This passage is not saying you need deeds to be saved. But what it is saying is that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've entrusted your life to the Master, if you are the one in the mud and mire that He picked up, raised from the dead, saved and rescued, then there will be a natural outflow of deeds. There will be fruit of the faith. There will be an exercising And that is the challenge to us. Kenneth Boas says this, We own nothing. God owns everything. We are simply managers. The Bible says, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Jesus is calling us this morning, calling each and every one of us, And for some of you in this room, you may have never entrusted your life to the Savior. And I want you to know this morning, He calls you out of love. He wants you to know fellowship and friendship with God. He wants you to know forgiveness of sin. And He wants you to know the gift of eternal life. And that today is the day of salvation. If that is you, respond to Him. He's calling you. Don't reject Him, please. Don't leave this place and reject him. And for those of us here that have attended church, that know the church culture, that are very familiar and very comfortable, please listen to the story of Jerry. Don't leave this place. Say, I'm going to go live my life and do what I want to do. But respond to the master's call and surrendering to him. He is faithful and good. And his plan for us, let's be honest, is so much better than the plan that we could have for ourselves. And there are times that he's going to bring us into our life and we are deeply concerned, can I trust you, God? Are you really calling me to something that I know you can lead me through? And I'm here to tell you, you can trust him. You can surrender your life and know he's got a way better plan than you ever had. This last slide I put up because I felt like this person in my hotel room. I was thinking about my life. And if you've ever had that moment where you stare out into the expanse of the sky and you realize, I am really small. I am like nothing. And when I was in my hotel room and God is ripping my heart and saying, what are you pursuing after, Eugene? What is really the drive behind your heart? And I had to be totally honest, God, it's not you. And instead of rejecting God and going to my conference and just saying, well, I'm just going to move on with my life, 
I had to get on my knees and say, Lord, I am sorry. I am sorry that I have been pursuing after these other things. I have a ministry job and I'm pursuing after worldly pursuits. God, I am sorry. And I don't want to continue on in this way. I don't want to keep living in this direction. I want to surrender to your purpose, God. And that may mean for you in this room, you may have to let some dreams go that you had. Because God, I want to follow what you have for me. He's calling us today. He's calling you today. Young people, whatever age you are in this room, don't reject what he's saying to you today. Surrender to him. Let's go to the Lord and take a moment to pray. I'm going to welcome the worship team up. And the reality is, is that all of us will see Jesus face to face, whether he returns today, tomorrow, next week, or when we pass away, we are going to see him face to face. And what is he going to say about your life? All of us have to give an account. And this morning, I want to ask you, what is your pursuit? Are you pursuing after what the Master wants of you? Are you stewarding the resources and the gifts that He has entrusted to you? Or have you gone like Jerry and just said, I'm just going to live my own life. Please don't bother me, God. I, I accept you as my Savior, but... Please don't try and be my Lord. I have too many dreams and hopes and aspirations. I've got too many things I want to do. This morning, God is calling you to himself. He wants you. He wants your life. He doesn't want just to be your Savior. He has to be your Lord. Let's just take a time to pray and return to him and look to him again. Let's pray.